Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase. In the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious, bared in the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts. It's time for an overall. Let's try this for the fourth time. Behind the scenes, the stuff you didn't know happened until I tell you. So I got up as I always do on a Saturday morning pretty early and I'm really excited today, first and foremost, because this Randy Hundley book, Iron Man, that I've been working on for just about a year now, a little bit over a year, depending on how you space it, uh, is now up for retail sale. And I cannot begin to tell you how excited I get when a project gets to that point. The amount of hours, the energy, the effort, the resources, uh, I mean, it is formidable to say the list to write a book. So this will be the ninth book I've worked on and written, either revised or from scratch uh, from the ground up, as we call it. And Randy's book is a scratch build up from the ground. Uh, we started with a concept and an idea and conversations. And today on 9923, a couple of nines in there, which is good because that was Randy's number with the Cubs. Uh, the book is available at lulu.com. So uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, go buy the book. I think we've done a really great job of capturing this guy's life and career in about 204 pages. I'm Look, I'm a less is more guy. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to sit and read a book for four months. I want to read it, be done with it in two or three days, be able to go back to it and enjoy it and take chunks. In. And that's kind of the way I write. It's the way I grew up reading. Ray Bradbury's stories were always fascinating to me because they were short but they said a lot and they got to the point you didn't have to go, now what are they talking about here? Life's hard enough. I don't like to read hard. I like it easy. So anyway, the book is not about. It is 204 pages. And I want to thank first and foremost all the people that were sponsors of the book. Some of you are sponsors of this, this uh, podcast as well. And for those who are in the know, they put in 100 bucks, And for that, they got their name in the book or the name of a loved one in the book. They attended the book launch three weeks ago tomorrow, which was fan frickin' tastic. It was standing room only, and there was a little apprehension in the in the beginning because you know I'm look I'm not an event planner, but for the past ten years I've worked with a, a team to build out our Bulldog Bash, which is part of our alumni efforts at my alma mater, Shures High School. So, you know, it's easy to have a, an event when you know the owner of the restaurant. It takes a whole big pile of worry off my brain. So Christine and her great staff at La Villa, best Italian and restaurant in Chicago, 3638 North Pulaski, conveniently located right off the Kennedy Expressway. They've been there 50 years. So if you go in, say that John sent you, you're not going to get any money off, but at least they'll know who sent you. <laughs> but they did a great job. And so when that's in place, you know, the rest kind of falls in place. And there was a couple speed bumps as always, but by and large, uh, I was standing there at one point just in amazement at watching Randy sit in this big chair and people wanted to talk with him and spend time with him and take pictures with him and get balls signed and hats and pictures and, of course, the book. So as of today, Randy Hunley Iron Man is available at this point. And I may just keep it this way because I'm not a fan of Amazon. And I make no bones about it. They have spent billions in advertising and marketing and branding to make you think that the first thing or the first place you should go, I say, to buy something is Amazon. I kind of like the world better when Amazon was just a river, right? So 
the reason I say that is because they have to pay for all that. You know, little insider thing here, you know, free shipping isn't free. You're paying for it somewhere. So it's a nice little hook to get you to buy stuff. And yes, my books are on Amazon and yes, they've done well on Amazon, but it's not author friendly. So this book, quite frankly, it sells for $19.99, direct from lulu.com, and then you pay the shipping, you pay for all that. It's print-on-demand, so I don't keep a huge inventory like I did back in the old days. My first two books came out. I'd have, I don't know, 2,000 copies in my garage. Couldn't put the car in there because I had books inside. But anyway, this is print-on-demand. This is a very author-friendly way to do things where you create the actual product, and it's direct to the, to the reader, and you miss all that stuff in the middle. So... Lulu.com, just type in Iron Man, Randy Hunley in the search bar and you'll find the book and there it is. And we do well on that. So for $19.99, I think after the costs are, are figured in, you know, we'll earn about $10 a book. If it goes to Amazon, it's $3. We split. So they're all paying for their branding. And so that's why I'm really adamant about direct from the publisher. Eventually it will work its way into the the book bloodstream of Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and all the other dot-coms out there. But as long as I can keep the lid on it, lulu.com is directly uh, from the publisher. It is print-on-demand. And it, it the, at least that way, the book is fairly priced for what it is, $19.99. You pay for the shipping. It's a couple, three, four, five, five bucks. I don't know, depending on if you want it expedited. And that puts the control in the consumer's hand and it keeps that middle thing out of there. It goes right from the publisher to you. So we appreciate you taking that route and not the other one as best you can. But it's always a thrill to me, uh, no matter how long I'm working on a book, whether it's a short period of time or like this, uh, just over a year to go click and then it's off. And then you get the anxiety. Oh my God, did I upload the right PDF? That's it. You know, cause that won't end until it ends. And we got everything in order. I like the way the book turned out. The cover's fantastic. And the, the process of this thing has really taxed my uh, technical abilities and especially my brain because the review process that it takes to pull this off is not just me. There's other people involved, but by and large, my name's on the cover with Randy's and it's on me to get this done. It's bottom line. And uh, to sign off on what I sign off on. And we had, you know, a, a time crunch with the book launch. We had 250 copies made. Those copies are basically author uncorrected author's proofs. There's some typos in there at different spots and the layout's not exactly what I wanted it to be. Uh, but we needed to get that done and we did. And so I can't imagine having a book launch without books. So the remainder of those books uh, that are left, is only like 10 from that initial order will become media copies. They'll be out for media review. And at some point you may hear Randy and myself or us together on different radio shows in Chicago or in print or what have you. So that's what those are for. And at this point out going forward, uh, all the revisions have been made and the layout is exactly what I was looking for. And that's what you'll get when you purchase the book. And, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for him. Uh, at the age of 81, he's now an author and that's the biggest kick I get out of it. When I work with somebody and I see their name on the cover of the book and the spine of a book that they've added author to their deck, you know, Trudy Groning, who I should give a call and check in on. She's got to be 95 now. When we first started working together, she was in her late 80s, 88, 89. And um, to see that book still in print, uh, you know, a matter of grace, not just in English, but also in German. And to see her name on the cover, uh, it just, and you won't see my name anywhere in there. I wrote the book, but that's what ghostwriters do. 
but to see her name on there and help her bring that forward, uh, it's just a, it's just an incredible feeling. And I have the same thing with Randy. I've known him so long um, to watch this to some degree come together, all the pieces, you know, all I can do is write and type. But I, I am convinced after working on all these projects, and it's much like a lot of things in life, not just books, but it's out there somewhere waiting to be read. You know, I've always been fond of the saying, whatever you're seeking is seeking you, whether it's to put this book together or the next job or the next relationship or whatever, whatever is out there for you, you have to go find it in the middle. Whatever you're looking for is in fact looking for you as well. And there's a meeting in the middle somewhere. So this book's a perfect example. All of the books I've written are perfect examples of that. All I know is I'm doing my part, but somewhere out there in the cloud, for lack of a better term, is the material, the information. It's all there. It's simply accessing it. So I've gotten fairly adept at getting quiet enough and relaxed enough and have enough coffee to allow that process to take place. I'm always amazed how it turns out. The first chapter I wrote in this book was about the mitt that Randy Hunley uh, was given by his dad and, and uh, how that changed his life. And literally, it changed the game of baseball because of his dad. His dad was a two-handed catcher as a semi-pro guy and broke a lot of bones in his hand. And so he was adamant that his son would not break the fingers in his hand. He taught him to catch one-handed. Randy goes into the major leagues where everybody's catching two-handed in the early 1960s. And everybody's like, what are you doing? Like catching one-handed because my dad taught me how to do it. And, it, it, you know, they didn't play him for that reason for a while. He was on the Giants for six years and they just thought this kid's off. You know, you got to have two hands to catch the ball. But when he went to the Cubs in 1966, uh, and the world got to see him, especially here in Chicago, but the world got to see him on TV catching one-handed. Next thing you know, Johnny Bench is catching one-handed, right? And so it just it spins into this whole other thing. And now every catcher catches one-handed. And Randy, for so many years, was not given the credit. Well, he gets the credit in this book because that's exactly how it happened. And furthermore, his dad gets the credit. So Cecil Randolph Hunley Sr. taught Cecil Randolph Hunley Jr., who went into the big leagues, and now everybody catches one-handed because of that. It's fantastic. And little leverage points like that can turn into really big things. So that's one part of the book. And of course, he created the fantasy camp concept um, where guys like me and girls could go and play baseball in a Cubs uniform or a couple other different teams he worked with and uh, play the field of dreams. It was fantastic. So uh, I'm just thrilled this morning. And this is the fourth start for me, meaning... The first one, I came in here really early, and it didn't sound right in my ear, realizing I hadn't plugged the microphone in. <laughs> kind of need that. And then the second one, there was another technical problem. And then the third time, I was about seven minutes into the show, and uh, all of a sudden, it's gone. So I'm like, well, time to get some coffee and a liver sausage sandwich, because that's what you do, right? Some old world uh, breakfast, liver sausage and mustard on white bread, mm, boy. And I opened the door to the studio and took a breath and kind of walked around and did a few other things and came back to get this done because of two reasons. Number one is um, the people who sponsor the show, the subscribers, I can't tell you how important it is that you continue to do that. You know, I, last week there was a big uh, headline about podcasting and the billions that have spent in this medium to uh, create content. And they were really specifically talking about the, quote, big name uh, podcasts for like the Obamas and for uh, Harry and Meghan and 
that these these people are given in, inordinately huge amounts of money to be part of these shows, which then in turn should, in theory, create a great advertising base. But there's a lot of challenges with that. And they failed miserably in the fact that they'd never really recoup what they thought they were going to recoup when you get the Obamas on or Harry and Meghan. And, but, you ha- you know, it's a very defined audience. And so it gets further and further away from the concept of uh, a platform that's usable and bearable and workable because you, you, you put so much resource and their financial resource in to secure these people and then put it out there. But it is a very crowded place to be in podcast land. So while it would be great to have Joe Rogan numbers, I don't even know what they are, a million people, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of happy that I'm doing it this way, uh, that there is this core group of subscribers that uh, every month plunk down $20, which is basically the cost of a pizza. And for that, you get five, you know, it's five bucks a week, 66 cents a day. And I do a show every week. So they support that because of the work and what's been said here. And I guess the things that are, you know, they find value in it. I cannot tell you how much that means to me. It goes back to my early days of radio when I was literally knocking door to door saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to talk about. And I need your help to do it. Because I know in the end, as in the beginning, it, it matters somewhere. Somebody listening to this, even if it's just about baseball, but for the most part talking about the life stuff, that it matters somewhere to somebody's getting value from that. So thank you so much for doing that. You know, this is five years of this. And when I go in and look at the, uh, the accounts, because there's always a problem. I'm getting email stuff all the time about somebody unsubscribing or there's a problem with the credit card. So I have to go in and fix that stuff. And I look, I'd only see the email addresses. I don't always see the subscribers' names. So thank you. I don't see all your names, but I thank you so much for being part of this and staying with this and believing in this. And that I'd like, I got to fire that mic up one more time. If I do nothing else in this show, but thank you for the, what you've done to keep it going. So your support, much like PBS, allows other people to listen. And that if it benefits them, you get that. It's reciprocal. It's kind of what kismet and karma is all about to me. But on a sad note, a guy that I knew growing up, he's probably five, six years younger than me, Mike Kehoe. Uh, was a longtime subscriber of this podcast. And sadly, Mike passed away suddenly last week. And this was a guy who was a force of nature. Uh, lived in Ohio, I believe. And, you know, he, we can, you know, the great thing about Facebook, the landfill of the internet, is you can find people that, you know, you spent other parts of your life with before the internet existed. And it's, it's a great tool for that. And Mike and I connected about five, six years ago. And uh, we've had some great conversations over the years. Nate Boyer former Green Beret and long snapper for, uh, for the Texas Longhorns, and he played for Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he was a client of Mike and his brother Bob's company, and uh, they put him in my direction. I had a few shows with Nate, became you know connected with him, and so they were really supportive of the things that I do here. And uh, there wasn't a week that went by that I'd do a podcast, and on Monday morning, Mike Keo would have a couple of suggestions, asked if I could play a different couple songs, you know, all these different things. Very engaged in the process, even though we physically hadn't seen each other for decades. So Mike passed away last week, but I'm just was so sorry to hear that. And my condolences, of course, go out to his family and his uh, sister Kathy and his brother Bobby. And uh, it's that type of stuff as I'm working backwards from. Mike was a, a, a huge defender of, of freedom. A freedom of speech especially, but he could argue with the best of them. 
And the thing about arguing with people is it doesn't change anything. It's just, I mean, think about it. when was the last time you had an argument with somebody and they go, you know what? You, you're right. That I've never considered your point of view before, but today it rings true and I'm changing the way I think. That doesn't happen. And yet we do it. It's like, a, it's like America's pastime besides baseball is arguing. And this past Thursday, I was in on live radio for the second week in a row, sitting in for Jonas Esposito here in Chicago for three hours live. And that's a whole different shift in my brain to be able to do that. I mean, I did it for years, uh, but the podcast, you know, landscape here has me pretty well. Look, I don't even have shoes on, right? Got to kind of put shoes on when you go into the studio. Uh, but to sit in live, I did it two weeks in a row, was a reminder to me about how that works and what drives it. And it's really chaos, confusion, and conversation, for the most part, drives terrestrial AM talk radio. It's usually about conflict. You know, on the right-hand side, it's all about what's wrong with the Democrats. And on the, on the left-hand side, it's all about what's wrong with the Republicans. Well, where's the room in the middle for the rest of us that kind of give a shit that for the most part? We're just trying to live our lives and get through it. Where's that at? That's the place where there's no money. <laughs> and unfortunately, or fortunately, depend, you know, there's always been a way for it to work out for me. But for the most part, you don't find middle ground on the radio because it doesn't sell. What sells is red meat and blue meat. That's what sells. So WCPT, where I sat in, is a progressive station, which is a little bit more towards my leanings, but yet I can go right sometimes in a big way. And that I think that's how a lot of people are. It's, you know, let me look at all the factors here and then make my own decision. It's not just one way. It can't be. If it was just one way, we'd be going in a circle. Maybe that explains a little bit. But it's a very progressive talk station. And the last two times I was on, I got on and said, listen, I'm not going to talk about politics for three hours. You just heard Tom Hartman do it for four hours. And before that, you know, you had the morning show did it for five hours. And so you got nine hours of this stuff. How about a break for three hours and talk about our lives? And this comes from marching orders that I had when I knew there was a microphone in my future back in 1997, that I was in circumstances in my life, living in a motel at the time with two little kids. And, you know, I, I really thought that I'd screwed up. You know, I mean, it was, it was a very difficult time for myself and my family. And yet how I voted, who was president, what my religion was or particular religious beliefs and my sports inclinations didn't matter to me. They weren't going to help me get where I wanted to go, which was out of a motel. So whenever I turned the radio on, all I heard people arguing about the same shit they argue about all the time. There was no progress there in terms of life enhancement at all. So when I got into radio in the beginning, the, the owner's like, well, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, I don't, here's what I don't want to talk about. He goes, there's no such channel as that. You got to argue about something. No one's going to listen to you. Well, he was wrong to some degree, but also right to another degree that the, the, you got to go where the money is. And I've turned down money on the left side, turned money on the right side. And maybe I could have done the sports thing, but as much as I love sports and football and baseball and rest, I, I just, you know, I go to the gym and I see these guys arguing. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs lost their first game to the Detroit Lions. It was a big deal in Detroit, huge deal in Kansas City because, you know, you just beat up Superman. And I'm at the gym. That was on, what, uh, Thursday night. And Friday morning, I'm at the gym. And, you know, is the Kansas City Chiefs season over? You can talk about that for how long? So these things to me are fairly meaningless. They're just meat fodder for your mouth. 
at this point in my life and, and how it's been the whole time is I'm looking for something a little bit more substance. I mean, a little bit more. Life in its own form is meaningless. We get to put meaning to it and what something means. We're the only species on the planet that get to determine what something means or doesn't mean. You could lose your job. It's the best thing in the world. You could lose your job. It's the worst thing in the world. So how you respond to things is more important than the thing itself. And if all we do is go back and forth and argue about policy we have no control over, I'm not surprised that we're all needing like all the drugs they say we need on TV. We're, we're, we're making ourselves sick over this stuff. It's like, a, it's like being on the outside of it. I can see it clearly. When I got on the air there and listening on the way into Tom Hartman talk and a guy, you know, a guy wanted to call in and argue about Donald Trump should pay for his own incarceration. You're going to sp- he spent six minutes on this. You have no control over that. I mean, come on. But that's kind of the mentality and the mindset of that whole platform. So I wanted to get out of that and I did and we had a great time. And, you know, I have support doing these things. There are people that, that line up that, that are glad to have some voice like Ted Albrecht came on. Former Chicago Bear, we talked about the Bears Packers stuff. But Teddy is a is an incredibly successful businessman years after he retired from football. We talked about that too. The other side of the coin of that. And Julie Murphy was on. You should all go to her website, juliemurphy.com. She talks about the emotion behind money. And I got a chance to tell the story that I always tell her over and over again about my $750 car and how because of that, I kind of judge everything. The make or break point is $750. So when you're asking me to look at a cell phone that costs 1000 I ain't going to look at it. But she has some great insights about how that stuff works and you know, great value there for people. And then, you know, I had um, Jennifer Weigel came in for, for almost an hour and sat and supported with conversation about how things can make a difference in your life and what you need to do to be just a little bit more aware. Jennifer comes out of the news business where it's, if it bleeds, it leads. And she told the story of saying, I've had enough. I'm not going to one more fire and getting on the news and talking about how everybody died. Do you remember their names the next day or the day after? No. It's so prevalent, it's become nothing. It's just background noise, which is terrible because these are horrible things, no question. But we've seen it and heard it so much, you become immune to it. You become numb to it. It doesn't. It, there's no shock value left at this point. I mean, and because of that, I get to roll into my kinesiology thing that it's about the SAID principle, specific adaptation to imposed demands. This stuff, we've adapted to hearing this stuff so much it doesn't mean anything anymore, which is terrible. Another shooting and children were killed. Another murder over here, bombing over here. Whatever fill-in-the-blank political person's doing, guess what? It's the same shit in the different day, and we become numb to it, which I think creates a sense of apathy. And apathy is the worst condition that a human can have, that there's nothing you can do about anything. That's not true. There may be not anything you can do about whether Trump's going to pay for his incarceration, but you can do something locally to make things better where you live. And once you get back to that, that's when life becomes better. So when I sat there and listened to all this bone back and forth and back and forth, I had Rex Hupke on, who is a USA Today opinion columnist, former Tribune writer, a great guy, satirical way of seeing the world. And he's, you know, picking apart politics and behavior and especially Trump these days because of all that's going on. Uh, but he's also got on Biden at times. I mean, it's all, all around the place, right? Uh, but he was talking about how much hate mail that he gets and death threats and that you can't even give it an opinion without somebody saying they're going to kill you. 
When I started radio, I replaced Dr. Laura on, I don't know, 25, 30 stations when I moved from CBS to ABC and I got all this hate mail. I had no clue why. I knew who Dr. Laura was. I found it fascinating that people would sit on hold for hours to talk to this woman for about a minute and a half and have her fix your problem without really knowing who you are. That took a, a lifetime to create. But that's her shtick. That's what she does. I don't know if she's still doing it. But anyway, at the time, and this would have been in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, she was hot as they get on, on radio. And the, the affiliate I was on decided to replace her with me. And I got a ton of hate mail. I walked to my office when there was a bag of mail. I'm like, well, this is great. Until I open it and start reading it. The people hated me. They wanted to kill me. They're going to come for me. For what? Because you don't like what I said? So real early on, I got this whole rhino thick you know, skin because it, it, you can't be in this business and take that stuff personal. But the interesting part is that eventually those letters got less and less. No one ever signed them. No return addresses. You know, and yet over time, as I said, some of those people that wrote me the first one started to write back and say, I'm sorry I did that. I'm starting to understand what you're talking about a little bit here. So in all of this today, you know, it's been a, it's another interesting week in my world. And I hope it is for you too, because that's the whole thing, right? I mean, that you're still alive. You know, we lost Mikey Kehoe and I, I really feel, you know, I caught that as a gut punch. But he lived it as full as you could live it. He was full on, this guy. And that's the takeaway again for me, to use it up. It's like when Irma Bamek said, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left. And I could say, I used everything you gave me. Or you can argue. I guess that's what it comes down to. Listen, to get a chance and you're a Cub fan, uh, and you're interested in, in Randy Hundley's story, you can go out and find the book at lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. Just put Randy Hundley Iron Man in the search bar, $19.99 plus shipping. And uh, I'm going to plug the crap out of it because I worked on it for so long. So expect more of that in the future. It's great Christmas presents, obviously, for any Cub fan that you might have or know in your family or friends. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith.